I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking. This will be a meditation on Psalm 84. And if you have a New American Standard Bible, please uh, go ahead and read in unison with me. If you have another version, you won't quite fit in, but that's okay. And this is a psalm of longing for the temple worship. Let's start with, uh, for the choir director. Join me, please. For the choir director on the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you. In his heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Now this is a psalm of pilgrimage um, for the journey to the temple of God. When I was in Wisconsin, my office was in the back of the church, and right next to my office was the manse or the parsonage or the house that the church provides. And there was a very thin concrete walk that went from the back door of the church around past our garage and up to the side door of our house that opened into the kitchen and the dining room. And... Uh, Sometimes, because of the work that I had in my office, when I'd get into the dining room, I would be in a very bad mood. Something bad would have happened. I would have had a bad counseling session. And I, I used to think that it would be much, much better if I had the commute of many uh, people in Chicago where it's somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour and a half for them to get in and out of the city so that there's a chance for me to mellow before I get home. Um, the commute being a time to forget about the past and to look forward to getting home. And Well, if you think about this psalm, this psalm is a psalm where the people of God are on a pilgrimage to worship God at the tabernacle. And so it's a record of what the people did as they traveled in order to get their hearts tuned for what was coming. Um, they would have all their kids, you know, little you know, rats running in everybody, screaming like banshees. And the babies would be in arms, and certainly there would have been sick kids. And each place they stopped to get water, every village they went past, every tiny group of houses, more would join them. And so it was a time of great joy, great joy. 
And uh, so they'd sing, which is what you do when you're joyful. You know, you think about Manchester United. There's going to be a game. What happens? It's their team. They love their team, and they sing. This is why William Law says that if you, don't, if you claim you don't sing among the people of God, get you drunk, put you in a bar, you will sing. And what he's saying is there's no person who should not sing a joyful song among the people of God. And so here we have a record of one of those psalms. And it's interesting as you look at this psalm that you see various things. For instance, at the very beginning, you see that it says for the director of music. And 55 psalms begin with that annotation, for the director of music. So this would be like for Carol or for for Jody or for one of the musicians. Um, And it designates the intended destination of this psalm for the temple choir. And then it says, according to Giddeth, and uh, three psalms have this preference. It could be a reference to some Giddite instrument or tune, or it could be translated uh, over the wine presses. In other words, indicating that this is a song that's particularly used at the time of the year when the harvest is gathered in, and you have the joy of uh, squishing the grapes, smashing the grapes, and making the wine. And yes, the wine did have alcohol. It was fermented, and it was a time of joy. Then it says of the sons of Korah. Now, what do we get from this of the sons of Korah? Who, remember who Korah was? Well, Korah is known for two things. For the sons of Korah, this, this designation for the Psalms. And the other thing is Korah's rebellion. And so here we have a record that many years later, we don't know how many, but many years later, after the rebellion, Korah's sons are at the center of the musicians of the people of God. So if you have a lousy father, a lousy mother, a lousy grandparent who didn't know God or who rebelled against God, and you feel the oppression of their failures generationally, remember, the sons of Korah are the musicians of the people of God. All right? Uh, don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to his accusations. Say, you know, I'm going to be a musician for the people of God. And I'm going to give glory to God. And I'm not going to let the past uh, clomp down and remove the present and God's blessing. Um, now, there's one other word I want to make a note about, and that's the word sila. Uh, it occurs a couple of places in this psalm. And there are two basic re- uh, things that people think it means. Uh, it could either be a musical notation similar to our forte uh, or an indication for the singers to stop so that the organ can go wacko. In other words, hey dudes, this is an interlude, a musical interlude. Shut up and I'm going to go wacko. All right, so that's one meaning. Another meaning could be that the word means forever and it's similar to our word amen. Uh, Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin back in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, or 3rd and 4th. Um, Jerome translated it with the Latin word semper, which anybody who's ever been a Marine or loved a Marine knows what that word means. Uh, always, forever. All right. And so we could translate it with the word uh, semper, or always, or forever. We could translate it with the word amen. Now, it's not translated that way, is it? How is it translated? Trick question. How is it translated? 
The answer is it's not translated. It's transliterated. In other words, you take a Greek or Hebrew word and you bring it directly into the receiver language, the receptor language. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, if you believe, as I do, that what we should do as teachers and preachers is intentionally focus precisely at the place where our culture hates God and his word, you will be thinking about manhood and womanhood here, and you'll think, isn't that interesting? When it comes to the Hebrew word selah, we can just directly port it into the English language, all right? But when it comes to the word Adam in the Old Testament, or Adam as we know it in English, which is the word always used for the human race in the Old Testament, Adam, all right? Somehow we have to like go across heaven and earth to, to leave behind the meaning of that word, namely that the race is named by the first man, not by the first man and the first woman, and not by the first woman. Follow my illogic. You take the word selah in Hebrew you directly place it in the Bibles, and everybody understands. We don't really know what it means, but everybody reads Selah. Nobody leaves it out, and it's simply a transliteration from the Hebrew. You take a much clearer word, which is the word Adam, which is just me repeating the Hebrew so that you hear it, and that's used all through the Old Testament for the race. All through the Old Testament. That's the word. The same word as the man. And somehow we have to go to humankind. You see, the problem isn't that there isn't a way to do it. The problem is we don't want to do it the way God did it. That's the problem. There's absolutely no reason why the word Adam could not be put for the race every single time it appears in the Old Testament. It would be an absolutely accurate translation. Nobody could say anything against it except that they don't like it, and that's the problem. So you know how intense I am about this, right? Most of you do. Here's an interesting thing. We're discussing the Penguin movie, which is called Happy Feet. Happy Feet. And I don't remember, was it you? Who was describing it, or Taylor? Anyhow, one of our children was describing this movie. And uh, who was it? Uh, all right. Okay, so our kids are describing this movie and they say this is a great movie, great previews, great first half. But then they said the second half, like, totally self-destructs. Because why? You know, I haven't seen it. Well, because in the second half, the message is how bad humans are. And I go, oh, why do I go, ah? The turkeys have gotten my children. After everything I've said and done, my children now refer to the race as humans. And they've lost the biblical words. The word is Adam. And always before, I would, when I was growing up, we would have said because they tell you how bad man is. And we would have understood in that construction man was ge the generic word for men and women for the race because Adam is the name of man in scripture and now my kids say humans and you say yeah but human man is in there and I say yeah with woman man is in there you know that's not good enough 
So, Selah. It's not really difficult, is it? Take a Hebrew word, you transliterate it. The, but, you know, English language is filled with words that have been simply ported from the Greek into our language. You see, the problem with this with Scripture is not that it's been found difficult. Uh, I mean, it's not that it's impossible. It's, it's difficult, and, and we don't want to do it. Our will isn't there. And what we really want to do is conform God to our image. And if God violates the sensitivity and the vibes of what we think comports with gentle, evangelical, biblical faith, the kind of faith that Peter does up there. Did you hear what you were reading this morning? You killed him. You know, but, you know, today we live in a kinder, gentler time. You know, a time when we slaughter... 1.3 million children a year. But we're such a kinder and gentler people, aren't we? Come on, people. You're all bright. If you don't use the word man to refer to the race, they got you. And you say, yeah, but I'd be graded down on my paper. And I say, God bless you. I'm, I'm teaching this homeschool co-op class. You know what? None of them say man. They all say human. All right. So that's the word sila. I'm telling you, it's there. You say sila, and it's a Hebrew word. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Now, what is the dwelling place? Well, the tabernacle. But what is the dwelling place of the Lord? Well, it is heaven. What is the dwelling place of the Lord? In the, in, in the city of London, what is the dwelling place of the Lord? The dwelling place of the Lord in the city of London is what? St. Paul's? How about Metropolitan Tabernacle? How about Westminster? Where does God dwell in the city of London? You know, I like going to London because if you're there, you can feel that your religion has substance. It's just your chest puffs out, your shoulders broaden, you stand more at attention, and you walk into St. Paul's because God's dwelling place is lovely. <laughs> well, okay, so you haven't been to London, so you say, well, okay, what are you talking about? Well, you know what St. Paul's in London is. You know, it's the building that no other building is supposed to be higher. It's Everything's gold-plated. You know, the, as I've told you before, the canter is able to turn the word God into a 12-syllable word. <laughs> you know, It just feels like the dignity that I myself possess. Me and all my glory. Okay, so forget the architecture. Forget the building. How about the liturgy? Huh? You know, the Book of Common Prayer gives me the dignity that I possess. You know, it uses thee and thou. I mean, I really don't like a man that leads me in prayer with you. You know, you can make lots of grammatical points about how thee and thou is a better expression. Well, at least a formal aspect to the liturgy. And, and I would really appreciate it if the preacher would wear a tie because if I'm going to come into God's dwelling place, I want to feel as if this is the best that we have to offer God. So, if I can't have a nice building like St. Paul's or St. Peter's, I certainly want to have a liturgy that's like St. Paul's or St. Peter's, or at least a preacher who gets behind the lectern and isn't spitting in our faces as he's preaching. Because 
This is God. And you know what? It is God. But you know, the tabernacle wasn't a pretty sight. And that's what they're singing about. And when they say that God dwells there, it's not the tabernacle. Yeah, there were beautiful things about the tabernacle. There were beautiful things about the temple. But you notice in the New Testament how often the temple was at the center of the scandal of Christianity. Because they don't treat the temple with the respect that it's due. Do you notice that in the book of Acts, in the sermons? You know, when they're arrested, you know, these people don't have the proper respect for our temple. What did Jesus say about the temple? That's right. Yep. So here we have a bunch of trailers lined up. Did you see it when you came in? A bunch of trailers lined up on the property now with 30-foot wall sections. This week, the walls will go up. By the end of this week or a week from now, you know, we'll have something that's more befitting our majesty. You know, walls in mud. <laughs> you know, listen, whether it's the liturgy, whether it's the, the, the music, whether it's the building, if the hearts aren't there, God does not dwell there. How lovely is your dwelling place? And another, another parallel to this is that if you want to have your religion without having people, you don't know God. If you want an anonymous experience where you can show up and do the civil religion trip and not have to smell anybody's bad breath and not have to listen to them talk about their, you know, their physical infirmities and not have to cry with them about the death of their, their children and, and not have to laugh at jokes you don't really think are funny, and not have to listen to racist jokes because, after all, you know, you do have to hear racist jokes sometimes from Christians. In other words, you cannot have the dwelling place of God without having the people of God. You cannot love God without loving the people of God. And a lack of intimacy is not love. Remember it says in First John that if you claim to love God but hate your brother, the truth isn't in you. You're a liar. Because after all, you can see your brother. You can smell your brother. This is the bane of the church in America today. Willow Creek went out when they first began and they asked everybody what they wanted in a church. And everybody that wasn't going to church and came to the door and answered their survey said what we want in the church is anonymity. And so Willow Creek ever since then has gone around telling everybody that what people really want is anonymity in a church. And Willow Creek thinks they've discovered a principle. They have. It's a principle of darkness. It's evil. That's a place where the people, what they want, should be killed. Because God is delighted in having the people live together, be dependent on Him for their water, be dependent on Him for whooping up on the Egyptians, cringing there, and then God comes through, you know. Delighted to have them dependent on a man who stutters to be their leader. Be delighted to have him depend for the direction. And when they go and when they leave with a pillar of cloud and fire, you know, God is delighted in having us depend on him and one another. God is delighted in having a child absolutely, absolutely, completely helpless for what? Two years? 
I don't think there's any other mammal that's like us, right? Or none close. You know, God loves dependency. And God loves to care for us through one another. He made us. This is how He made us. And in the church, God is delighted to have us be dependent on one another. He loves to have musicians and to have us led by musicians. Preachers, have us led by preachers. Have older women who lead us. He loves for us to have little children screaming and crying in our worship. God loves everything He's made. And He could have made us so that halitosis was never a problem. But you know, it's one more place where we can love one another. And that's the nicest thing I could talk about. I love adulterers. I love sodomites. I love fornicators. I love thieves. I love the timid and the depressed. I love narcissists. And I don't know who you are, but whatever you are, I love that too. And it's not because I'm holy. It's because how lovely are your dwelling places, O God. God dwells in the midst of His people and their praise. Now, let's ask you a question. Do you love the dwelling place of God? And you say, oh yes, St. Paul, St. Peter's. I say, no, 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 not the building. Do you love the liturgy? No, 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 not the liturgy. Do you love the prayer book? No, 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 not the prayer book. Do you love the dwelling place of God? Now, the way you would answer that is by asking yourself if you love coming here to church. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this. He says, some need to be whipped to church. Well, here is David crying for it. He needed no clatter of bells from the belfry to ring him in. He carried his bell in his own bosom. Holy appetite is a better call to worship than a full chime. Do you love God's dwelling place? Why am I preaching this sermon today? Because it's annual meeting day and because I want you to know I love this church. Love it. I make no, uh, no apology for telling you I'm gaga over us. And I thought to myself, well, what if I didn't, what if I wasn't a pastor? Would I love it? And the answer is I'd love it. Remember, for many years, I went to church and I never opened my mouth up in the front of people. Why? Because God dwells here amongst us. And yeah, you disappoint me, and yeah, I disappoint you. I love this dwelling place. I love you. I love having the great privilege every Sunday morning of assembling with the people of God and being led by the musicians and praising God. I love it. Do you love it? Now, you know that I'm a dad, and so I always discipline you. And so I'm going to discipline you now. Some of you don't love it. 
There are some not here because they don't love it. What do I have to say to them? Well, first of all, if you won't submit to the authority of a home, you won't enjoy living in the home. Remember I told you, there was a day when my father came to me. You remember this? And my dad, who hated to discipline me, hated it, came to me one Saturday morning. I was headed up the stairs. He was standing on the brick floor of the entryway. And as I went up the stairs, he said, Tim, and I turned, and he said, you need to move out. He said, you are not honoring God, and you may no longer live in my home. You see, if I'm not submitting myself to God, I'm not compatible with my father. Because my father's allegiance is to his God and not his son. Now you say to me, well, are you telling me to kick my children out of my home? Are you telling me that my parents should kick me out? Look, get the principle. We're always wanting to limit obedience by figuring out what the pastor is saying and what he isn't saying. Listen to the principle. The principle is you will not love God's people if you're in rebellion against Him and against His fathers that He places in the church, His mothers He places in the church. If the elders tell you to repent of something and you refuse, you will hate coming to church. And you will still claim you love God. And sometimes you'll come just to show them they're wrong because you're here loving God. And it's completely bogus. God established elders. I didn't. And God called and set apart with the laying on of hands. Your elders, stand up. Who are the elders? Stand up. Stand up. Look, these are the men. These are the men who rebuke you and who exhort you and correct you and encourage you. Stephen is up with his family today and David's someplace else. Thank you, men. I'm telling you, you couldn't find a better group of men to submit yourself to. And if you think they're wrong, here's an idea. Didn't you grow up thinking your dad was wrong? And when you get children, this funny thing happens. All of a sudden, it turns out they were wiser than you thought they were. Guess what? God speaks to you through the elders. If you don't love the dwelling place, there's a good chance it's because you're in rebellion against God and the proper authority that He has placed over you. (laughs) Now, come on, people. That's just basic truth. That's like a stop sign has this shape. And even if the paint's gone and the words are gone and everything's gone, everybody knows David's back. (laughs) Everybody knows it's a stop sign. Okay? This is just basic stuff. How lovely is your dwelling place? How lovely is your dwelling place? If you can't stand the church, it's not because this church does things wrong. Of course we do. And every single church you go to is going to do just as many wrong things. Now, some are apostate. Some do not have the right preaching of the Word. There's no application. You're never convicted. They seem like they're stuck in the 50s. Or in the sociology department of IU, which is even worse. All right. They don't have the right administration of the sacraments. Never a warning. It's just snap, bang, rattle, done. And they don't have any discipline. You can't go to a church like that. But if a church has the marks of the church, the right preaching of the Word of God, the right administration of the sacraments, 
and the exercise of church discipline. Okay? The problem isn't the church. It's you. Yes, the elders are stupid. You know? Yes, they don't know what kind of a wife you live with. Yes, they don't know what the needs of your children are. Yes, there are certain things that the elders don't know about your work and about your financial needs and pressures. God speaks through the elders. And when the elders speak to you, you do what I did. And that is you say, yes, Dad. And you're gone from the house that day. But the day comes when God uses the discipline to bring me home. Okay? This is why Paul says in Galatians, by telling you the truth, have I become your enemy? This is why in Hebrews it says to you, obey in such a way that it is a joy for your elders to lead you because if you make it a pain for them to lead you, of what profit is it to you? you imagine having a hip replacement, going to physical therapy, and finding it a delightful experience? <laughs> if you've ever known anybody that had a hip replacement or a knee replacement, Physical therapy is anything but a delightful experience. But you know what? I told my mother when she was here recently, I said, man, I'm glad that you had your knees replaced. Because it used to be that it was a five-minute project for her to get in and out of the front seat of a car. And now she just gets in and gets out. Oh, those years were awful. Infections and tough, tough stretching of the muscle and... Lots and lots of money. And now she can get in and out of a car. So submit to the discipline. How lovely is your dwelling place? If you don't find the dwelling place of God lovely, the problem's not the dwelling place of God. I've been in the ministry many years, two decades now. I've seen a lot of people come and I've seen a lot of people go. And you know what? The people that go, without moving out of town, without having some life experience it requires them to leave the people that go you know what they're the people that came complaining about their prior church guess what the problem isn't the church the problem's you if you don't find the dwelling place of God delightful submit to authority and I assure you these men look at them stand up again guys look at these guys a second come on stand up Stand down. The only one who could possibly be accused of being intrusive in your life is Jeff. And he's new, so he, he doesn't have confidence yet. So don't worry. I mean, come on, Lawrence, Wayne, David, you heard David's prayer. Can you submit to a man like that? Does he know your heart? Does he know your weakness? Yeah. I want to end with one of my favorite poems. And it's by John Donne. Here's the delight of the church. He says, since I am coming to the, that holy room, since I am coming to that holy room, where with thy choir of saints forevermore, I shall be made thy music. As I come, I tune the instrument here at the door. And what I must do then, think here before. This is, this is the tuning of your instrument, this church.
So love it. Love it. And when you come to the door of heaven, you'll find that your voice is in tune. You might even have perfect pitch. Let's pray. Father God, please.